We are uh, in the book of Exodus, and we're going through the ten plagues right now. We're just going verse by verse through Exodus, and so uh, we are creeping our way along, and this week we're in the fourth plague, which is the plague of flies, and it's going to be super gross, so just warning you. Who loves flies? Anyone like flies? Nobody likes them. All right. So what we're going to learn today is, is that we don't uh, compromise with Satan uh, and, and also that he can't stop you. And, and that will make a lot more sense as we get to the end. But each of these uh, plagues that we've seen have really intense and deep uh, spiritual meaning and application for us. It's not like these are, are just random plagues that God was just picking out of a basket trying to figure out how he could make their lives miserable. No, each of these plagues has relation to other parts of the Bible. They are picked for very specific reasons. And as we've seen before through the plagues we've had, uh, they, they generally have blessing in store for believers, but cursing for unbelievers. And we saw that with the water being turned into blood, but we have Jesus turning water into wine. Then we had um, the second one, the, the, the frogs and pride spoken of there and saying, we'll, we'll, we'll repent tomorrow you know, Pharaoh was like, we'll take the frogs away from me tomorrow. We saw the uh, lice and how um, man-centered religion and the efforts, their, their attempts to be religious don't work with God. And, and this week we have the, the flies, all right? So we're going to speed our way through, uh, but the book of Exodus is about redemption. Remember, that is the word that defines this book. Uh, so we're going to go deep into that topic of redemption, God taking his children out of the world, he's redeeming them, and into his service. God wants people serving him. That's why you're here, is because God, you're not here to learn about the Bible. You are here because God is taking you out of the world to serve him. You guys are serving the Lord in Brazil, and it's glorious, and, and we're so happy uh, to see that happening. But the Lord has, for each one of us, he has a ministry for you. And some of us know what that looks like, some of us don't know what that looks like. Uh, but that's where we're going. He's taking us out of the world into his service because he has chosen us and he has made promises that that is what he's doing. It's an invitation to this redemption. So for God to do this, he has to be stronger than whatever is holding his people in Egypt captive. That's, that's a base thing we need to understand is that God needs to be stronger. But in Egypt, see, Pharaoh and his armies and his magicians, uh, they, they have a certain amount of power over the people. The people can't just leave by themselves. And the book of Exodus shows us that God is stronger than what holds them captive. And we know that this is all picture and, and all an image and, and a type of our lives. How we are held captive by what? Sin, Right? sin and, and, and by the world and, and the devil and they have this power over us before we come to know Christ. So in 1446 BC, we have this event happening of the Exodus. And then check it out. God, God frees them from this, these captive, you know, the Pharaoh and his armies and his magicians. But now fast forward uh, to 30 AD and you have Jesus comes along the scene. And what Jesus does is he walks around and everywhere he goes, He's casting out demons, right? And as you read the Bible, as you read the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I'm just blown away every time I read them at how consistently he's casting out demons. 
and, and how many demons there were. I mean, it seems like these demons were like everywhere. But Jesus shows that he was stronger than all the spiritual forces of power that were in the world and in Israel at that time. And those spiritual forces were holding people captive. They were possessed by them. And and Jesus showed he had all power to cast them out. He cast all of them out. Because the only claim that Satan and these demons have over humans is sin. And since Jesus was sinless and he removed sin from our lives, he could cast out these demons. Jesus is the full completion of what God illustrates for us in the book of Exodus. And I'm saying this as an introduction so that we have that in our mindset as we attack this plague, as we study this plague and dive in to it. We are complete in him. God freed the Israelites but he frees everybody through Jesus. This is the the type that we see in the word of God. The gates of hell, Jesus said, cannot stand against an attack from the Holy One of God and his church. You guys are just going right into the darkness in Brazil, right? And Satan is scared to death because he can't stand against holiness. You have the authority to cast out holiness. We have the authority to go throughout this world and say, no, Jesus has freed you. You don't need to live in darkness anymore. We shine light and the darkness must free, flee excuse me, from us as his church. Wherever the church goes, it wins. So I love when someone identifies an area of darkness and a foothold of the enemy because when the church goes in there and you guys say, we're going to go plant a church, it wins. It will bring peace and it will bring salvation and no force of hell can stop it. Now that does not mean we don't die. And it doesn't mean we don't suffer. We might die. We might give our lives for the cause of Jesus because we are his to use as he sees fit. And people will watch you die and they will turn their hearts to Jesus. That's how that works. And that's his choice, if that, that, that's how he wants it to go. But we trust him. We follow him. We put his yoke on our shoulders, okay? So the first verse we're going to read is actually not in Exodus, but it's in um, Mark chapter 3, verse 22. And that verse says, The scribes who came down from Jerusalem said of Jesus, because Jesus was casting out all his demons, he said, He has Beelzebub. By the ruler of demons, he casts out demons. Beelzebub, I thought that was just something Queen made up for Bohemian Rhapsody. No, what it is, is Beelzebub is a name for Satan, which means Lord of the Flies. How gross is that? Lord of the Flies. Satan is also called the father of lies. You can remember those two because they, they rhyme. Lord of the flies, father of lies. Now you know. This is a name for Satan or the devil. And uh, when we think about Satan, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is because Satan is always leading a spiritual rebellion against the rule of God. Him and his demons are just always trying to rebel. And anytime there's rebellion against God or Jesus, Satan is behind it. And, and his 
leadership in that role, his being, lordship is called being the lord of flies. Isn't that weird? Anytime someone chooses to reject the lordship of Jesus, they're choosing to align themselves or become in allegiance with the rebellious nation that Satan rules. He's the ruler of demons, it says. And the demons do not accept God's authority. They reject it and they say, we decide what we want to do. They are fallen angels who used to serve God, but now they rebel. And the Bible talks a lot about Satan, and this might make some of us uncomfortable. And some people are even afraid to talk about him. Um, But that's like people being afraid of talking about Hitler during World War II. You don't need to be afraid to speak about him. Uh, Satan can influence people, and we're told to not be foolish and not to disregard uh, and, and forget about his strategies. We need to be aware of his plans and strategies because he is influencing the world right now. In fact, he is influencing you right now and me right now. He is speaking lies into our heart, even now, and he's tempting us to turn away from Jesus at every moment. This Lord of the flies, father of lies. Lord of the flies, father of lies. And every moment we choose a side. We choose, you know, some choices are bigger than other choices. You got baptism is a real big choice where you're proclaiming to the world, the, the, the visible world we see and the invisible world of all the demons whose side you're on. You're proclaiming that to them, that we want Jesus to rule over us and be our king. That's a big moment, right, D? That's right, amen, brother. Because Jesus, he wants us to choose his side because he is he does not share. He, he is jealous for you. He's jealous over you. He does not want to share you. He, he doesn't want to just use you, but he wants to live in you and supply you with everything you could ever need or want. That's his plan, and that's why he's jealous over you. So one other verse before we get to Exodus. I know our introduction is like huge this week, but 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Chapter 6, verse 14 through 18. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial, another name for Satan, which means the corrupted one? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, and God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, he says, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. He's saying here, you can't stay connected with the kingdom of darkness and rebellion and follow me at the same time. You have to come out. You have to be separate. And I'm teaching you this before we get to the plague because you'll see how Pharaoh and Moses have this exact same conversation. Why do we have to come out and be separate? Because we are his temple, Paul says. It's amazing In the book of Exodus, we're going to get to the part where they build the temple. And this temple is going to be a picture of us and Jesus living in us and living through us and all the 
furniture and things in the temple are going to teach us about our lives of abiding in Christ. It's going to be pretty amazing as we see that. But God says, come out and I will receive you and you'll be my children. God is looking for offspring. Offspring. People that come from him, proceed forth from him, have his same heart, his same mind, act like him, think like him, his children. That's what he's looking for. And he's able and willing to make you that child. With all his heart, he wants that to happen. And when we come out and we leave behind rebellion, we leave behind the satanic and the demonic wave rebelling against God, and instead we surrender to the Son of Righteousness, Jesus, we become these children that he makes, his own children, his own people. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, for I am lowly, and you can learn of me and follow me, walk with me, serve me. This is what we need to understand as we get into this. So now our text this morning is Exodus chapter 8, verse 20 through 32, and it starts out by saying, The Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Do you guys remember that? Come out, serve me, right? Or else if you will not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and on your servants, on your people and on your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians will be full of swarms of flies and also on the ground on which they stand. So, Serving God is the topic of this plague. He, he wants his people, God wants his people to come out and serve him. And if Pharaoh doesn't let them go, God will send this plague that shows Pharaoh and the Egyptian people that he is actually serving the Lord of flies. This Beelzebub, you are satanic, Pharaoh. You are rebelling against me and my will. I just want my people to serve you are serving Satan. And then we'll continue on. And in that day, he says, I will set apart the land of Goshen, which my people dwell, that none of the swarms, no swarms of flies, shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. And I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. So we have separation now. Come out and be separate, God says to his people. He's telling Pharaoh, my people are going to be separate. This plague shows that the evil, rebellious nation that that Pharaoh is a part of and Pharaoh is leading, it, it will be judged. Anyone who rebels against the Lord will be judged. And those who are not a part of this rebellion will be spared will be spared, will be rescued or saved. Those who surrender to God's will will be spared. And, and it says here, now our, our text continues, it says, the Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh onto his servants and onto all the land of Egypt. And the land, it says, was corrupted by the swarms of flies. So in Hebrew, this, uh, this word for Flies, I can't say it, but it's, uh, it's defined as a species of fly called the gadfly. 
which is very troublesome to people. It's also called the sucking blood fly. Ew, I didn't know flies could suck blood, but these ones could, and it sounds horrifying and terrible. So can you imagine your whole body being covered with flies? Ugh. It, all the way down to your feet, and then every step you take is just crunch, squish, guts, fly. Gut. Oh, there's nothing more disgusting than this. And God is, he's giving Pharaoh a very clear message that serving Satan is disgusting. Rebellion is gross. It is the opposite of pure and holy and righteous. It is everything that is gross. So, Pharaoh, it says, called for Moses and Aaron and said, go and sacrifice to your God. And then he adds this preposition, in the land. Very important, in the land. So you see, Pharaoh here, he wants them to stay in the land of Egypt and serve God there. And this is what we call compromise. Winter was coming on, and a hunter went out to the forest to shoot a bear, which he planned to make a warm coat and eat the meat. And, and so we saw the bear uh, coming toward him, and he raised his gun, and he took aim. And the bear said, wait, 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 wait. Why do you want to shoot me? And the hunter says, because I'm cold. That's why. But I'm hungry, said the bear. So maybe we can reach an agreement. But in the end, the hunter was, was well enveloped in the bear's fur, and the bear had eaten his dinner. And the lesson is that we always lose out when we try to compromise with sin. It will consume us in the end. Compromise is what Pharaoh is saying. He's saying, you don't have to follow all God's commands. You can just follow some. Just look like you're sincere. When someone sees you on the street, say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to this church. I go to that church. Just look like you're sincere. That's what we do as Egyptians. We just look like we're sincere. Why don't you give me a little guarantee, Pharaoh says. Well, give me a little allegiance. Give me a little bit of your fear. Do what I say. Fear me instead of God. Follow me instead of God. Huh. Pharaoh was willing to let them feel like they were serving God. Oh, sacrifice to your God. Oh, build your altars. Just make sure you do it the way I want you to do it. The place I tell you to do it. As long as it was mixed with a little bit of rebellion and disobedience, Satan is fine with you going to church, with you serving God, with you thinking like you are in the right place in your life. Satan is fine with you going to church as long as you're doing it his way, with just a little bit of rebellion. It doesn't matter what command it is. Just break one of them. And Pharaoh knew the same thing Satan knows now, which is that a little compromise will keep you fruitless. 
A little disobedience will sabotage your calling and your mission to glorify God, which is, in other words, to be his children. You won't be a, a, a fruitful child of God. So Moses said, It is not right that we do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then will they not stone us? No, we're going to go three days' journey into the wilderness to sacrifice to the Lord our God as he commanded us. He is committed to not compromise, right? Cows and sheep were an abomination to the Egyptians. That's what's being referenced here. And they would get very upset if they saw Jews sacrificing a bunch of these gross animals all over their cities in Egypt. But Moses is committed to obedience. What fellowship has the people of God with Satan? Paul says it later as we studied, as we read, right? Moses is saying the same thing. Satan hates you. He's not just annoyed with you, and he's not ignoring you because you're in church this morning. He hates you. He hates your worship of God. He hates your commitment to follow and trust Jesus. He hates you. And Moses gets it. He's like, we can't serve both God and you, fair bro. We only serve God. I will not compromise. I will not turn away from trusting the word of God who cannot lie, to trusting the word of man who is deceived by the father of lies. Right? Beelzebub, the father of lies, the father of lies. This doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes as we're following Jesus. It, it means that we don't agree to disobey God. We don't plan in advance to say, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rebel against God by doing this. We commit by faith to obey him. It's our plan. We're going to do. It's our goal. We are going to follow the Lord. And when we stumble, we get back up and we confess our sin and we redirect our eyes back to Jesus like Peter when he's sinking in the water. He says, Jesus saved me. And Jesus is right there to pick him back up. And he's where he was going. So Pharaoh said, I will not let you go. Or sorry, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord, your God, in the wilderness. Only just don't go very far, but intercede for me. So Pharaoh still wants compromise. He doesn't, for Pharaoh, it doesn't matter how small the compromise is or what the compromise looks like. If you make a commitment not to submit totally to God, you're still in Pharaoh's world and he still rules over you. And for us, it's the same way with Satan. When we decide, oh, just a little bit of me time, just a little bit of my kingdom building, we could have been completely delivered. Jesus is there. Jesus is going to deliver these people. Jesus comes to deliver us fully and completely, but he says, you got to come fully to me. 100%. You don't come to me by steps. This step, this step, you fully surrender all. Then Moses said, Indeed, I am going to go out from you, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh and from his servants and from his people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully, like the father of lies, right? Remember? Deceitfully anymore in letting the people go sacrifice to the Lord. 
Moses says, nope, I'm leaving, and you are a liar. Pharaoh, you are a liar, probably because your father is the father of lies. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and he removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh and his servants and from his people. Not one remained, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also, and neither would he let the people go. God has called the children of Israel out to be his children, his people. He wants to be their father. And I want you to remember 2 Corinthians 6 that we read at the beginning where he says, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. God has called us out to be his children as well. In Matthew eleven twenty seven through 30, Jesus is talking about fathers and sons and how all that works. Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, he says, All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And the one whom the Son wills to reveal him. Jesus knows the Father, he says. Uh, he, he knows him better than anyone. He is the only one who knows him. Buddha doesn't know who the Father is. Mohammed doesn't know who the Father is. Joseph Smith doesn't know who the Father is. Jesus only knows who the Father is. And Jesus knows how to be a son. He knows how to live with that dependence upon his Father. He said many times, I don't do the works, the Father does the works through me. He, he lived dependent. He never did anything of himself. He did it through his relationship with the the father, he knew how to be the son. And Jesus says in this verse, he is willing to reveal that amazing son-father relationship to who? Well, he says, he continues in the next verse, and he tells us who. He says, come to me. So the who is whoever will come. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light, Jesus says. He's saying those who will come out to Jesus himself and serve him, Leave behind the world and, and all it says that you have to be or all that it wants you to do. If you decide to just follow Jesus and serve Jesus, Jesus says, it's going to rock your world. It is going to bless you. You will find joy and peace and rest for your souls. That is what the true Christian life looks like. Restful. Nathan taught amazingly last week about the rest of God, right? 
It was amazing, resting in God. And now Jesus is inviting each one of us out from the world into serving him where we can find that, taking his yoke upon us. Just picture the nation of Israel in Egypt under the yoke of Egypt with the, the whips and the, the, the brutal pain they're going through and the, and the, the sorrow. And then God saying, come work for me where it's restful, where I will bless you and I will provide for you. There is a heresy, though, in the church right now that says, uh, that teaches that if you just follow Jesus, you do whatever you want to do. And Jesus will love you and he'll forgive you and you do whatever you feel like, even if it's contrary to his commands. That, that he's just fine with you. That he, his love is so great that he can overlook disobedience. It, it says that you don't need to repent all the time. In fact, repentance is looked at as, as sub, as something not as important as understanding the great love of Jesus. Okay? I know people very close to me who, who believe this and who are living, and they're living in total sin. And just fine with it. And they're like, oh, if I repent, I'm not accepting what Jesus has made me. He's made me good. And so that means I can do whatever I want to do and dishonor God with my life. And Jesus just magically turns it around to make God glorified through my sinfulness. And Paul would call them idiots. So do I. It's a heresy. It's a lie. It's satanic. It's demonic because it's compromise, right? That's Pharaoh saying, you can think you're serving God. Just do it in my world with my rule over you and I still rule you. You're not really delivered. You're not delivered. The way we know we're delivered is repentance. God grants us the heart that says, I don't want to compromise. I want to follow God all the time. And every time I sin, I want to repent and turn back to the Lord. A true child of God has one desire, and that's to honor his father. That's what a child of God is. And if you look at your own heart and you realize you have other desires, that you don't even have this heart, then something needs to be done. What needs to be done? You need a new heart with new desires. And God says, ask in faith for a new heart, for a heart that only desires to serve God, and he will give it to you. That is his promise according to grace. But, 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 are you willing to turn away from all of your desires? Are you willing to give up the heart that you have now? You can only turn to Jesus if you turn completely away from everything else. Our eyes face one direction. Our bodies even show this. We face one way. We can't look at two different things at the same time, even when we have two eyes, like two natures. But they can only look one direction. And we're either looking to Jesus or away from him. And everything that's not of Jesus is rebellion. And so... Jesus says, you've got to turn completely to me. You have to get out of the land of Egypt. That's what he says. Well, what about what I want? 
Is it about what I want or is it about what he commands? In your marriage, are you doing what you want or are you doing what he commands? In your parenting, are you doing what you want or what he commands? In your relationships, in your free time, in your church time, in your alone time, in your busy time, you ask yourself that question, am I doing what I want or what he commands? If I don't have a heart for what he commands, then the, 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 the solution to that is not just trying harder to change my heart. It is coming to the Lord in brokenness and saying, please grant me a new heart. I confess my sin and my selfish heart, and I ask you for the grace of a new heart, and he will respond to that. Now, we're going to end now in looking at John chapter 8. You guys have hung in there. It's been a long service. Thank you guys so much for hanging in there, but we got to see John chapter 8 and how it correlates with what we just read because it just kind of blew my mind. I was really blessed by it. So we're going we're gonna to push on and just, we're going to just read through John chapter 8 from verse 31 on and we're going to see just some little correlations between this plague of flies and this lesson that we don't compromise but we fully come out of Egypt into serving God, taking his yoke upon us. We're going to see how that correlates with what we see here with the scribes and Pharisees. Because I have a question for you. Are you a true follower of Jesus or are you like the Jews? Are you like the scribes and the Pharisees? Are you a true follower of Jesus? Is his yoke upon you or are you like the scribes and Pharisees? Well, let's read starting in verse 31. Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him. So look at this, look at this. They were the ones who believed. These weren't the, the meanies. These were the Jews who believed in him, who thought Jesus was the Messiah. They, they were the ones that went to church. These were the Christians who went to church, maybe. These are maybe you. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. I go to church. I study the Bible. Oh, yeah, Jesus says. Let me ask you, let me learn you some things. You think you follow me? Let's talk about it. He said this to the Jews who believed in him. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So he says here, being in the Word is a major sign that you're an actual disciple. You go to church, but are you in the Word? Does your church teach you the Word? These are all good things to think about. But look what he mentions here. He mentions slavery. Slavery. Well, what, did, what are we dealing with in Exodus? Slavery, right? He says, the truth shall set you free. And I, I'm, I'm thinking Jesus is taking them back to this time in Exodus where they were slaves. And I want you to have that in your mind. Then they answered to him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you, you will be made free? Egypt, anyone? I mean, I just imagine Jesus like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You have spent hundreds of years in Egypt. You were enslaved in Egypt. Have you never read the book of Exodus? Jesus answered, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Jesus here, he makes the connection perfectly clear. The slavery is sin. Sin is the enslaver. And the Israelites were in Egypt to represent sin and its domination over us. And he says, you guys are still there. You are still in Egypt. 
weirdos, come out. A slave, he says, does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now we have the whole idea of sonship and that father-son relationship brought back to us here. And he says the solution to your slavery is not war with Rome. The solution is being born again, having the heart of the son implanted in your soul, being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the solution to the slavery that has enslaved you guys. They say, I, he, they say this, Jesus says, I know you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you, do, and you do what you have seen from your father. And they answered him and said, Abraham's our father. And Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. Jesus is like, you guys are sinners. You're sinners. Murder is a sin, remember? And I know you want to murder me right now. You have decided to live in Egypt. You have decided to compromise, Jesus says. You are living in rebellion. Abraham didn't rebel. Abraham believed me and trusted me and obeyed me. You guys rebel? And then he says this, check it out. You do the deeds of your father. And then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth from God and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech, what I'm saying? Because you're not able to listen to my word, because you are of or from your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. And he was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. What a connection to Beelzebub, the father of flies, right? The Lord of the flies, the father of lies. He's saying, you guys are just like Pharaoh and you're just like the Egyptians. You want to rebel. But he says, but because I tell you the truth. No, he he says, you guys are on the side of Satan. Even though you say you're on my side, you go to church, you open your Bibles maybe even, you wear the Christian t-shirts or the hats or whatever. He says, but because I tell you the truth, you don't believe in me. Which of you convicts me of sin, he says. And, I, and if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Who, he who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. And the Jews answered and said to him, do we not say rightly that you are Samaritan and have a demon? So they bring up demons. This connection between the Lord of the flies and the demons and Jesus' power to expel demons that we looked, looked at the beginning and Beelzebub, all that is perfectly fitting together now. You have a demon, they said. Uh, Jesus, okay, so they accuse him of being on the wrong side, on the demon side. But Jesus can't be on that side because he never sins. So they're in a pickle right now. They're in trouble. 
And Jesus answered, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is only one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, they shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead and the prophets who are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? So the Jews are really mad now because Jesus claims that he is really the son of God, which makes himself equal with God. And they are not. He's saying, I'm on the right side. You're not. And they are just, they are so angry. They're so mad. So Jesus said to them, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me and of whom you say he's your God, but you don't know him. I know him. And if I say I don't know him, I would be a liar like you. <laughs> but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. And the Jews said to him, you are not 50 years old yet and you've seen Abraham. And he said, before Abraham was, I am. So Jesus confirms that he knows the father, that he is the son, that he is eternal, that he is of God, he's from God. And anyone who is a true child of God will receive him and him alone. That is the test. So they take up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. Moses knew that serving God with compromise would end in stoning. Right? Remember, he was like, you guys are going to stone us. And here they try to stone Jesus. He would not compromise his standards be just because they had the right last name and lived in the right neighborhood. They or came to the right church even. They wanted to serve God and be his children while still compromising and hating people and murdering people and being mean to the poor and all the things the Jews did. And he's teaching them you can't serve God and compromise. And, and, and if this is convicting to you, good. It's the Spirit that convicts us. That means the Holy Spirit is with you. And if you feel and, if, and have this conviction in your heart, like I do, that maybe I have compromised in areas of my life, repent right now and say, I'm done. Because when we come out to serve God without compromise, we will not taste death. That's Jesus' promise right here. See, he's the fullness. He gives us what this plague is really about. I'm going to separate you guys. They're going to taste death, and their taste of death will be continual for eternity. When an unbeliever dies, it will they will taste the full bitterness of death for eternity, and it will never go away. They will always be tasting it and feeling the flames. But you and I, as believers, will never even taste the death. The Jews in Egypt did not end up getting stoned. Neither did Jesus. And this is a wonderful picture of not tasting death. The world can try to keep you from serving Jesus, but they cannot stop you. See, when we decide we don't want to compromise, 
Jesus enables us, equips us to not taste the world's wrath on that. The world will be very angry with you. And they'll be like, we're going to stone you. Don't you, dare comp- don't you dare go all out to serve Jesus. And Satan will come after you. I just, yesterday we went and saw Jacob and Sarah at the hospital. And he was telling me, he had this great story. He's like, we had a great morning. We were just like, Lord, we're going to serve you with no compromise. His words. That was yesterday. He was telling me this. And then our son, our baby, immediately has like a, a seizure and, and he's like, I know it was the enemy. And I, in my mind, was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I'm teaching on tomorrow. Crazy. Satan will not stop us though. He cannot stop us. Don't compromise because when we compromise, he does have power in our lives. But when we say, no, I'm going to serve Jesus every moment of my life, then Satan's power is broken and he can't stop us. Jesus says, you will not taste Death. You will not taste death. No matter how much he tries to stop you or what he does, it will not touch you, even if it kills you. See, you might die. Satan may get you in a car accident and kills you. You may get cancer, whatever. But you won't taste the death. You will serve Jesus with all your heart every moment till your last. And you win. You win. You can never be stopped. I love that. No matter how hard he stops, he can't stop you. And so a little illustration to help us that we just close with a small little illustration. There was a little girl whose father was a preacher and he died. And, uh, and she was a young girl, eight or nine or ten. And, and she's on the way to his funeral in a car with another uh, man who was taking care of her, just driving her to the funeral. And they're driving on the way to the funeral, and she asks the question uh, to this older man, and he says, um, do you think it hurt Daddy when he died? And the old man was kind of like, ah, wow, that's an intense question from an eight-year-old. I'm going to, how can I explain this? And as they were driving, they pulled up next to this big semi-truck, and the sun was behind it, and the shadow of the semi-truck came and, and, and it was on over their car, and the sun was blocked out. And he said, do you see that semi-truck? What would happen if we ran right into that semi-truck? It would, it would hurt, right? She said, yeah, that would, that would hurt. He said, well, when a believer, a Christian, dies, it's like running in the semi-truck, but we don't run into the semi-truck, we just run into the shadow." We just pass through the shadow, and there is absolutely zero pain. There is zero hurt. There is zero taste of death. I'm not saying we don't break an arm and we don't feel pain in our bodies, but when we die, the death that unbelievers experience, the satanic torture that is upon the soul of all rebellion, we don't even taste it. We pass it. We taste only the shadow of of death. What did he say in Psalm 23? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That psalm is about dying. But for a believer, it's just a shadow. And our lives, we may be walking also through the valley of the shadow of death. But do not fear evil. There's the plague of flies for you guys. All right? Would you guys stand with me? We got communion. We're going to sing one more song, and we're just going to end our time in prayer and communion real quick.
So Father, I thank you, I praise you, Jesus, for your great victory and love for us and how you, you call us out of all the ways of, of compromise that, that the enemy is just tempting with continually. The enemy is, is, is really good at convincing us that we can just serve God here where we're at or you know, in, the, in the flesh or serving ourselves really in rebellion against your commands. And Jesus, I pray that you would, you would now fill us with a new heart. Jesus, grant us a new heart. Lord, that, that desires to be a child of God filled with the heart of you. Father, I thank you that we can be your children. We can fully be forgiven and enter into your presence by faith. And we do that now. In Jesus' name we pray.